What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. Today, I am sharing an interview that I did on another podcast called the Seed Club Podcast with Jess Sloss. Jess is someone I've gotten to know recently who does a ton of really awesome work in the Web3 space. Seed Club is a DAO that is essentially an accelerator for other DAOs and tokenized communities. So a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. Tokenized communities means communities built around some sort of token or where members can own a token in the community. Jess is an expert in Web3, and we had a really great conversation around how to take the things I understand about community in Web2 and apply it to the world of Web3. We talk about the theoretical, philosophical part of community, and we also get into the weeds of practical things that Web3 communities can use to build more healthy and meaningful communities. Hope you all enjoy it. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me, Jess. Yeah, Dave, why don't you just uh, take a minute and introduce yourself? Sure. I'm David. I co-founded a company called CMX eight years ago. CMX is a network of community professionals, and we host conferences, research, and online community events. And I've basically just been working in community for my whole career. Most of my life, I started building online communities when I was a kid for video games. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4 was my game of choice. And that kind of opened my mind to the opportunity of building community online. And then I got into it as a career. My first job was a community manager, helped co-found the communitymanager.com. And I've just been basically banging this drum of community-driven business for a long, long time. And now in the world of Web3, it feels like the world of community and business have finally merged into one, just how I always wanted it. And that's me. Oh, I should add also that I recently published a book called The Business of Belonging, which kind of just sums up my 13 years of experience building community and trying to help businesses have a playbook that makes it easier for them. So like the boss move for me would be to have that book here and hold it up. It is in my other room, just so you know. <laughs> so I don't have that here. So I'm very interested in this conversation because I think you've been on my radar for a number of years. So I think I've seen you sort of lean, well, I think through CMX and all the work that you've been doing over there for the last couple of years. You've just been a very prolific writer and speaker and advocate, I think, for yeah, for communities, which it seems like that's shifted quite a bit lately. I think you're kind of alluding to here with this sort of combination of business and community. And so there's just like a whole host of threads that I kind of want to pull on. I think there's, there's a conversation area here for us to go into and sort of like the high level philosophy and, and like impact of community driven businesses, organizations. And then there's like this other side of a very practical, like how do you go build, do, et cetera. And I think both of those are probably really interesting to our listeners here. So like, I think maybe an interesting place to start is your book. You know, you're saying it's a culmination of eight, 10, maybe even longer years of work. What is the, the core thesis through that? And, and maybe a couple of the core insights that you think would be relevant here? Yeah. Yeah. So 13 years of doing this work professionally now, and it's a very practical book. It's not necessarily making a lot of bold points after chapter one, like chapter one's kind of why you should care and why I always believe that community would be the future of business and why it's important and valuable and smart for businesses to invest in community. And then the rest of the book is basically the playbook. Great. All right. If you're bought in, you believe that community is going to be really important for your business. How do you put together a strategy starting from the business outcomes that you're trying to achieve all the way through to the day-to-day work that you're going to do to engage people, facilitate connections, build belonging, and grow the community? So let's start on that first part then, chapter one. Like, I feel like that's maybe where we've seen the biggest shift in the last little while around like the understanding and importance of why community is so central to business. And, and maybe I would almost say that like the big shift recently has been away from like build business and then tap community on top of it to now community kind of truly being the core of business. But mm. how are you making that point to the broader market? Yeah, so there's a couple of lines here. One is the historical context of 
how business has been evolving over time. If you go like way back when to the start of business, literally the the etymology of the word company comes from com, which means together, and panis, which means bread. So it's coming together around bread, which goes back to the earliest days of businesses, which was traders traveling around and gathering in places and trading their goods and wares and eating together. And over years, business developed all the way up to the Industrial Revolution, where it really became about mass production and just creating products at this extreme scale. And the worker and the consumer was not very human-centric. It was very commodified, right? Like the worker was just a, per- a means to create the product and consumers didn't have a lot of power, right? If you bought something and it didn't work, or you didn't like it, you could tell the people around you, but you know, outside of the telegraph, there weren't a lot of communication channels to spread word of mouth if a product was bad. But since then, what we've seen is the continuous growth of the ability of consumers to talk to each other, to communicate, to share information, to share reviews. And so eventually that led with the advent of the internet and our ability to review products and talk about them. Companies started to have to care about customer service more and more and more until it got to the companies like Zappos that kind of pioneered customer service as a competitive advantage for businesses, which back then was a bold idea to say, like, you should care about your customers and have customer service. They really carved out a competitive advantage, even though they were just selling shoes. It was because of their customer service that people really got to know them. Then that led to customer success where it's like, all right, we're going to proactively invest in making our customers successful in their work and careers and in using our products. And just as consumers have grown in power, thanks to the internet, because they could collectively work together and combine their efforts and their voice, companies have had to care more about what the consumers need and about empowering them. And that's led all the way to when I published this book, talking about community-led business or community-driven business which I think is taking it even a step farther than customer success to say like, all right, we're going to invest in us helping you into like, we are going to start creating ecosystems where you are now able to help each other and you can actually take on leadership roles within the community. You can create for each other. You can support each other. You can feel like you have ownership in what we're building. And then that, I I mean, it's crazy how fast things are evolving now into the next evolution of these kinds of ecosystems where we're in Web3, where it's going beyond like we are a company and we're going to make you feel like you have ownership, even though the Uber driver doesn't have ownership in Uber and the Airbnb host doesn't have ownership. They might feel ownership or influence, but they literally don't have it. And now in Web3, we're seeing what I see now as kind of the ultimate culmination of this trend towards community-driven business which is like literally the community is owning the business and creating it and building it. And so there's that line. And then real quickly, the other line of it is that it's just like the reason why you should care about this as a business is because it's just really smart. It's really efficient. It's really practical because uh, the simplest way I can explain it is imagine you're a 10-person company and you're building a product and you're doing marketing and you're doing all these things but you are doing everything as a company, right? Like you are building everything, you're marketing it, you are creating all the value and compare that to a company that has the same 10 people, but has a thousand people around it who are advocating and creating content and helping build the product and contribute to it. Which company is going to be more successful? It's obvious, right? It's going to be the one that has this community built around it of people who believe in it, who feel a sense of belonging to it, who are building into this whole ecosystem, who are adding their value to it. And that's where you see a company like Duolingo that's running 2,600 events a month with a team of three people or Google developer groups with over a thousand chapters all over the world. These are all community-driven programs where instead of the company saying, we're going to host all the events. They build a community ecosystem where they empower people to create that value for each other. I love that framing of, of looking at through the lens of consumer empowerment. And then almost to sort of see like that line almost gets extended more as you go beyond empowerment to ownership. And also it's funny to me how little these sort of words or concepts are actually being talked about in Web3. Like there seems to be this like very big firewall between like corporate discussions of community and the idea of a 
customer success. Those sort of roles haven't even bubbled up over in Dow Lancer and in, in Web3. And yet, you know, those roles, I think some of my big lessons in, in building these organizations is that like, we shouldn't probably just reinvent everything, right? Like there's probably insight baked into all of these things. And that like those types of roles or structures with ownership, with governance, with sort of exit built in are actually maybe the, the right way of structuring it. So I'm just getting a big flashback to when I like, sort of worked in marketing and branding and, and strategic initiatives within corporations, which yeah. is you know, catching me off guard a little bit. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on it. I mean, one, yes, Web3 is definitely reinventing a lot of wheels, including community. Two is like, I'm interested to see what happens when these DAOs start working and they start building products. And then those products have consumers and those consumers aren't necessarily members of the DAO. And they're just literally going to be building the same things over again of like, okay, well, those customers need support and success and marketing and product and all of these things. Great. Like the DAO is going to still have to be able to solve for those problems and provide those services. My third thought on it, which is a rabbit hole we could go down, but I think there's like part of a challenge right now for Web3 that I've observed as I've been kind of straddling both worlds is this idea that Web2 is just all going to have to come to Web3. It's inevitable. And so we don't really have to work together. When in reality, I think the next 10 years are going to look much more collaborative between Web2 and Web3. Like Web2 is still going to be here. A lot of systems are still going to be Web2. It's not going to replace Web2. It's additive. It's not either or. Okay, that's a conversation I'm very <laughs> eager to have with you because I have opinions on it as well. But it comes up when you're talking about sort of like the, how DAOs are actually going to be able to manage customers, et cetera. Like we're seeing this right now. We see this through, through projects like Party DAO that are very focused on building tech tools and also are like servicing customers, people coming together, buying, building, maybe in a different way, like somebody like Mir, more of a traditional structure. They're not fully a DAO yet. But what you're seeing is sort of this crowd as DAO as customer service role really be taken on. Customer service meets marketing, meets customer success. You're kind of like banging those together. But I was also on a call earlier this morning with a, a liquidity platform and with their partnerships team and, and watching them like struggle to kind of put together how to actually structure and manage these things. And, and it came off as kind of like not super well thought out, well-intentioned, great people. Like there's just like a lot of forgiveness, I think, as we are trying to figure this stuff out right now. But without a doubt, like the big gap in the space, I think, is uh, professional actors, right? So how do you step up and actually take responsibility, deliver an outcome at a level that is on par or greater than maybe what's available, especially as competition comes in? And I think so much of this space that we're in right now that I think gets to your second point around like Web 2 versus Web 3 is that there is this like wonderful gap in time right now where the regulations are super unclear. There isn't a huge user base here right now. There's a ton of concerns around environmentalism or just broad misunderstanding by the consumers generally that makes trying to step into the space like literally toxic for many of these companies, which is creating this huge opportunity for Web3 native DAOs. I think it's actually probably one of like the most bullish things for DAOs today is just how hard it is for more traditional organizations to jump in. But it's not always going to be like that. So yeah, super interested to kind of go down that thread. But I think I would be mistaken if I didn't just take a time to... to like, I always feel, I use the word community to mean a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. And I realize I'm guilty of that. And when I talk about community ownership or, or participation, I think my big fear is somebody's like, okay, well, what do you really, what do you really mean by that? And maybe I can think well on my feet, but like you come across as somebody who's put a lot of thought into like what the definition of community is. And so I'm curious if you can help us, help us define that or, or like what's the appropriate way of using it? Yeah, it's both my favorite and least favorite question because <laughs> they like there's no one answer that does it full justice. There's different ways that I like to think about this question. On one hand, you have the aspect of the anatomy of a community, right? So when you say something as a community, what is the anatomy of that group? And when people talk about it that way, it tends to make this sort of assumption that a group or a community is homogenous, that like it has to be this group that has a consistent experience, that of a community, when in reality, no group is ever homogenous in its level of community. It's always going to be these concentric circles. Imagine it like a solar system with the sun at the middle and then the circles around it, where you're going to have a core of people who feel a very strong sense of commitment and belonging and connection. And then as you move outward from that core, the people 
who are involved are going to have less and less commitment and a sense of belonging and a sense of connection, but they're still going to have some level of connection, right? And so like a web two example is uh, Airbnb, you know, when they IPO'd, they said the word community over 300 times in their paper. And people were like, ah, it's bullshit. They're using the word community just to like market it. And I said, well, it depends. Who are you talking about within the Airbnb ecosystem? If you're just talking about people who follow them on social media and know about the brand, yeah, they're not going to feel a strong sense of community. But then as you move more into the middle rings of what if they're a host? What if they're a super host? What if they work at the company? What if they're a founder? Like as you move more into the middle, the level of community is going to grow and grow and grow. And so my first answer to that question is generally like all groups are communities. They're not necessarily deep or meaningful communities if they don't have a strong core. And it depends who within that community you look at specifically, but all groups of people that have anything in common, which is technically all groups because we're all people, all of them have community. It's just on a spectrum of depth. So that's one way that I like to help kind of reframe the answer to that question. It's not a yes or no, it's a to what extent. And then I'll just share another a way of defining it or a way of thinking about it that has stuck with me for a while that I really like because it distinguishes between we're just a group of people in a forum or a discord or an event who are connected versus actually feeling a sense of community. And that is a community is a group of people who are willing to make your problems their problems. And so if you really feel like this is a group of people that if I were to have a problem, if I were to need money, if I were need to need help, if I were need to need someone to show up for me, this is a group that would do that. And if I don't feel confident in that being true, then it's probably not going to feel like a very strong community to me. Ooh, I love that. That's the soundbite I was looking for. <laughs> Sorry, I gave the long-winded answer first. <laughs> No, no. I mean, that's why I love these open conversations. I think truly what you did there was give me permission to use community very broadly because I think that's kind of how I think I intuit it as well. But then ultimately, like there's when we start to think about making decisions around community. So how do we choose a community to work with? Like, is there a community there? It actually becomes a little bit more of a practical question. And I think that's where I still end up in this like the community could be 10,000 people for a certain project and three for another. And it really depends on like what you're trying to go after and achieve. So, yeah. And I would say that like the companies that use community but aren't genuinely working to create depth within those inner rings are kind of full of shit, right? Like they're trying to call community when they're only focused on the loosest, the most outer rings. They're not really focused on building that depth and sense of belonging connection probably shouldn't be using it too broadly. Right. I think actually that's how we got connected. I think I was tweeting something about DAOs and community and you had a, <laughs> a wonderful retort, which was like, what if no DAOs are communities? What were you trying to get at there? And, and maybe, I mean, I've seen your Sphinx.eth uh, <laughs> in your Twitter name. So I was like, okay, he's gone down the rabbit hole pretty quickly. Sure. But yeah, I'm curious, like, what were you thinking there and what sort of changed? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely in the early stage of my journey down the rabbit hole. And just like, maybe this is a good perspective for people who are Web3 natives as well to see like, all right, if I came in and I'm looking at all these DAOs, for the most part, I'm, I'm joining discords that are very noisy, have very little actual community facilitation or onboarding or design. It feels very haphazard. I'm seeing groups that are very financially incentivized, which financial incentives are proven to replace intrinsic motivation. So where you have social value of like, I'm going to help you because I'm your friend. But as soon as financial incentives are added to the equation, it replaces that motivation in my mind. And I'm going to start measuring it based on that transactional value. And so you see NFT drops that are so financially driven and people just trying to get in because they hope that they get lucky and it's something that works and will go up in value. And you see these noisy discords that aren't very thoughtfully organized. And you can't help but wonder, like, is there deep community here or is there really just those outer rings of people who are jumping from one hot thing to the next hot thing and they're not willing to make other members' problems their own problems? They are really there for tapping into the opportunity to become wealthy or to tap into a meme, not because they genuinely care about the other people in the room. I would still say that's probably a fair 
analysis of 98.3 things <laughs> that are out there in Web3 right now. Like a lot of what you see is still that. But I've also been able to find some groups that seem to be taking a more thoughtful approach since I've gone down the rabbit hole. And, and that's really what I'm looking for. That's what I'm trying to get engaged with and understand and do my work is working with teams and projects that are trying to do it the right way. Yeah, I, mean, I think I, I broadly agree with all of that. And I admire greatly the teams that take a, a very slow and measured approach and do not chase the obscene financial rewards that can exist for launching a PFP project and making it purely financial and really driving and pumping. Like it's truly a lucrative thing. And so when we talk to teams who, and it's something we, I hope we continue to be really great at is filtering for folks that have that that deeper desire to build meaningful connection and also to build for five, 10 years out rather than three to five months out. And I think that the big open question I have in my mind is more around that, that former point you made, like where financial incentives change the nature of relationships or actions that people take within these communities. And I think what's interesting, my entire experience in the space has been one of, of their sort of being, of wherever I sort of look at, at black and white, you realize there's just like a, a lot more gray around it, right? And so like, I think intuitively, I go, yeah, right. Like if all of a sudden people are just measuring based on dollar amounts, like that doesn't seem to make sense. And yet what we're seeing is like still a ton of that sort of intrinsic motivation, even though there are financial rewards on top, or at least maybe trying to think through how you sort of structure those at two different levels where there is like maybe a financial reward and ownership at one level, but that the reason for coming together and interacting on a regular basis doesn't have the financial aspects tied into it. I think one of our early insights was thinking that like, this isn't about designing a microeconomy with a whole bunch of microtransactions and incentives to get things done. I, like I look at what Reddit's doing with their sort of like the upvotes and downs. To me, that just feels like the very wrong way to go about it. You're sort of adding a game in that into the how a community should interact purely around financial rewards now. Whereas if we look at say something like Friends with Benefits, where like yes, you can earn tokens. Yes, everybody has a buy-in and is holding a certain number of tokens. That ownership is sort of in the background and truly the interactions and value that's being created and creativity that's happening in there doesn't have this sort of like dollar amount attached to it in any way. So I'm, I'm very curious as to how that plays out because I think it is probably one of the biggest risk factors to whether this world really comes to fruition or if it's just sort of like, uh, I wouldn't say it's a flash in the pan, but like how it comes to fruition. Whether it has staying power, right? And really becomes something that achieves these like big visions and promises that we have of like, more access and more equity. But like, if we look at what it is today, it's not accessible and it's not equitable. I joined FWB a few weeks ago now, in large part because like I wanted to learn and it seemed like probably the best place to learn how DAOs are working and how these communities look. It cost me about $8,000 to buy the tokens. <laughs> Token price went up for like a couple of weeks. I was like, oh, cool. My membership in this community actually like made me money. And now it's like down by two grand. It's interesting to see how that's impacting me, how I feel about it, right? Like I can kind of reflect on my personal experience and I didn't do it for a financial investment at all. I did it to learn, but like it still sucked to see $2,000 disappear from my account when that happens. I've started, I've been to an event and I met up with a couple members separately from FWB and I actually thought they were really, really good events that the one thing I commented on on Twitter was that it was the first event, first community or tech event I've ever been to where the majority of the conversation was focused on how to improve the community. A lot of the conversation there was like about governance, about proposals that were on the docket, about the inaccessibility of the community because of the token price currently, about how to like improve the structure, just like all these things about how to improve the community. Whereas like every other event I've ever been to, you're only talking about yourself or maybe the larger industry, but never like the how to improve the community of the event that you're currently at. You know, like people don't come to CMX events, frankly, and say like, how do we improve CMX? They come to CMX events and they say like, how do I improve my community? Which is how we built it, right? In FWB, it's just an interesting example where I am feeling a connection, a community. I want to get more involved. I don't feel like it's a financial investment from like, that's not why I'm in it. And yet the financial component, I can't help but feel like it has influence. And if it were to go to zero tomorrow, what would that do to the community, right? Like what would it do to me? What would it do to others? 
I'm very excited to see the kind of research and data that comes out in the coming years of essentially the, the correlation or causation between token price and community health and engagement. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating. And I, I think we're seeing just a, a number of really interesting sort of versions of that experiment being run right now. And my take on it is just how rudimentary I think all this is going to look in yeah. a few years, yeah. right? Like it's very blunt instruments we're using across the board. And I don't exactly know which direction that goes as far as like user experience or, or access or like probably token. It's probably all those sort of things that come together to sort of change it. But this, I keep coming back to the sort of core insight of like a tool like an automated market maker like Uniswap, the ability to mint a token and the ability to gate access for like a Collabland or a guild.xyz just all of a sudden allows people to have ownership or a sense of ownership or ownership in a community. And it just seems like a big shift to me in some way. And, and then, you know, the, the chips are going to sort of fall as they, as they fall as people experiment with them. But when I come back to like, okay, well, what are we trying to do here? To me, it's just like, that is new. Communities now have these new superpowers that only existed within companies or governments before. The ability to issue, to have a cap table, a bank account, to, to make agreements, to sort of govern outside of like, a legal structure and sit on a, through smart contracts internationally. Yeah, I, I want to be clear too. There's a very positive aspect to the financial side of things where I think one of the fundamental flaws of Web 2.0 community-driven business that was kind of like talked about in hushed tones behind the scenes because no one really wanted to call it out was that like you have these massive corporations that are running volunteer-driven programs and those volunteers aren't seeing the upside of their contributions, right? Like the people hosting those events aren't capturing the value financially of those events, generally speaking. The people who are answering the questions on your forums aren't capturing that value. The people who are advocating on your behalf aren't capturing that value. Even if they get compensated, they don't have the upside of the future value that comes out of that, right? The Uber drivers didn't have the upside of Uber the same way Travis Kalanick and the team did. And so that, when I think about the potential positive impact that Web3 can bring to the concept of community-driven business, it can actually create an ecosystem that is more equitable and give the people creating value the opportunity to capture that value as well. Yeah, and that's exactly where my internal dialogue when I saw your reply to that tweet before was like, okay, yeah, but like, corporate community really is this the example we're going to hold up to but yeah i think i mean i keep coming back to that uber example you give there's somewhere out there there is an uber driver who is number one two number 100 that told a ton of his friends that had five star ratings that just provided an incredible amount of value and eight nine ten whatever it was six years later when the ipo happened he got nothing yeah got nothing, got nothing. yeah shocking it's we're going to look back on this and it's going to look like the like how we look on the middle ages right now wait hold on you have to work for somebody you don't own the land you're working and you got to give a certain number of crops back to this dude in the, in the castle just so he protects you from marauding marauders. I think I've used that line twice in two podcasts. <laughs> That's weird. But yeah, this is crazy, right? So, okay. So I want to shift the conversation a little bit here. I love the philosophical conversation and truly I would love to just sit down in a bar and, and drink some scotch <laughs> and we can get into that. But also like people here are listening to this podcast or are, are participating in wanting to have an impact on this space. I think that's like, to me, the most inspiring part of this entire thing is that we feel like we have an ability to change the course of history through participation right now. And you also have a depth of knowledge and understanding in the practical sense of how to build and, and run these communities that I would really love to get in into here. And maybe just to start off, uh, you know, pulling a recent tweet you have here, he says, number one, community misconception is if you build it, they will come. And number two, community misconception is if they come, they will stay if we think of those as sort of the, the framing of, of a conversation on some more practical or tactical matters, how do we go build better communities that actually will stand the test of time? Mm, great question. And yeah, that tweet came from a conversation I was having with my friend, John Howard, who's a co-founder of Big Head, Big Head Club, which they're launching a lot of NFT projects and doing really cool stuff. They did Stoner Cats, they're doing Ghostbusters, Oni Ronin. And we we're talking about like what goes into a successful NFT project and how the mentality that a lot of people have when they launch these projects is there is the, if you build it, they will come. But then it's that next step of, okay, we've like launched this thing. People are in our Discord. Great. Like our job here is kind of done. We'll just, you know, we, if we set the right systems and incentives, it'll kind of take care of itself in a way. 
And I think my theory is that this is a little bit rooted in Web 3's, you know, how it came to be in the first place of like the idea of Satoshi just dropping the Bitcoin white paper and just like with the, it was very simple, but it just sparked this entire ecosystem and world, right? Like all needed was just like spark and, and the fire took off. And like, yes, that can happen, but it's almost always the exception to the rule, not the rule. And so when you're launching a DAO or an NFT or any of these things, step one is do rolling up your sleeves and doing the work to get people in the room in the first place. But once they're in there, it's continuing to keep those sleeves rolled up and showing up consistently. You like These projects need leaders who are going to pour their energy into it every single day. You can't just like launch it and then hand it to a community and say like, great, like run it yourselves or like establish your own leadership. Maybe that works if it's so successful, like the Board Ape Club or, or something where there's so much status and value that people really like start taking on leadership roles. But even those, you know, had kind of leaders that's like stuck with it over a long time and built it up. So yeah, that's the idea. Think about how you're going to get people in the room in the first place in a really thoughtful, meaningful way. And then I used to say, I don't know if this still applies to Web3, you never launch a community. You're just like consistently always building it. There might be a point where you like you go public or open up, but you're always going to be working to build that engagement and facilitate and bring that energy into the community. Yeah, I love that. We had O'Shiny who has sort of been deep in the Board API Club world and you know, one of his core points about the success of that project has been how deeply involved the founding members have been in building that community and showing up and asking questions and empowering people. And so like, I think that the challenge is you sort of see, you see the end result. Most often, like most of us are coming to communities later in their development. It's just like the reality of things. And so it kind of is formed and we're late majority or early majority into it. But so many of those decisions early on are, are being made. And I think one of the things that I always talk to our project leaders about is just how I think there is this, you start framing just like, okay, there's this community that's going to figure out itself. I think in DAOs, it's this idea that the community will just get it done or that through consensus will get it done. Mm -hmm. And what is true, I think, across every single community is that there are leaders who are taking action and investing their heartbeats and moving something forward with consistency to the point of building momentum, to the point of having those sort of flywheels start to build. People want it, finding pathways and having the ability to contribute. It's very hard to see that. And I think it actually stops people from taking consistent action early on because it feels hard and it doesn't feel like it's actually working. When in reality, that's just how you have to go to build. And it might not work, but like that's not the, the deciding point, right? The deciding point is some consistent effort over time that then results in something or, or doesn't. I think if you build it, they will come is maybe this is the two-part blog post that, that I want you to write for C-Club because I think there's sort of like the, I mean, part of my inspiration in, in speaking with you early on is I think we want to do much better at helping our teams take a very practical, a thoughtful approach to building these communities. And I think broadly in the space that you were talking about earlier about what it looks like from the outside, the reality is we're just trying to, to like keep up with all the craziness that's happening. And we're just now getting to the phase of like, okay, how do we actually practically and thoughtfully design onboarding experiences and ways of connecting people with work and opportunities? It just hasn't really existed. Now, obviously, there are teams that are taking great leadership strides at this. So Index Co-op and the Krauss team are two. Uh, Cap and Dow, like many through our portfolio are really thinking about this, but I don't think we're great at it. And I don't think there's a template that we're rolling out right now that's consistent. So I always sort of frame the call to adventure is maybe like the, if you build it, they will come, right? So there is like this effortful put into like a narrative and something that people care about and you're showing up consistently. What are you seeing on, on sort of that, that first part of like getting people in the door that's maybe essential or replicable or, or strategic? So as for, in terms of like the onboarding experience? Onboarding, enrolling, getting people into the community is sort of like a, the, the solution to if you build it, they will come. What is the work that needs to get done to make that true? Yeah. So first off, the community member's journey starts before they become a member, right? It comes from like the first time that someone tells them about your community. It comes from reading the about page. It comes from seeing people talk about it in public being intentional about what information you're putting out there and how you welcome people into the ecosystem in the broadest sense is a good place to start, right? Like if all of the information about your community is behind a Discord join wall, then 
You're hindering people's ability to start to feel confident and competent in your community. And actually, like the first time they join is in one of the most overwhelming points where they actually step foot in the door. It's like the first point where you step into a conference, that feeling that you get of like, there's a thousand people here and I'm overwhelmed and there's booths and noise and it's the most overwhelming point. And that's also the point where you're trying to teach them about who you are and what you do. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I see a lot of Web3 projects make. They're, they're like keeping too much in Discord rather than looking at Discord as a step that you ask people to take a little bit further along in what we call the commitment curve. Like they've already built up some awareness and commitment and understanding. And now they're like, all right, I want to take this step to be an active participant. And then so, okay, you educate them on who you are and what you are, why you exist, things like that. That person wants to take that step and get more involved. So they go to join the Discord. There are two problems there. One is information overload and the other is social overload. So information overload is like, for one, some of the discords are doing a good job of this now where you just go into like an intro one. And like there's one place with one message and that's all you have to read to start. And that's great. And then some of them are doing this choose your own journey approach of like you respond with an emoji based on what project you're interested in or what your skill set is. And that like opens up new channels. So that kind of like slow rolling out of content is really important. So you're not like I joined FWB. There's a hundred channels in FWB. It's I still feel overwhelmed and I've been there for a month, right? And so that's the information overload. And what you want to do is slow drip it in terms of their experience. You could also slow drip it, you know, use the age old technology of like, I know no one uses email in Web3, but like in whatever way you can drip content out to people, do something every day. Just say like, just don't worry about anything yet. Click this button. And we're going to send you a little welcome tip every day for the next 14 days. Day one is like why we exist. Day two is our community values. Day three is who's the team that like if you need something, you can go to. Day four is spotlighting a few great members. Day five is here is like some actionable things that you can do to start engaging the community. And so you're just dripping out these ways of understanding and getting more involved over time rather than saying like, here, read the manual. Like spend a ton of time on this, especially when people are in a hundred discords, like they're not going to have time to do it all at once. And then you have the social overload. So social overload is coming into an event or a room. It's like, imagine moving to a new city. Everyone's already got their clicks. Everyone already understands the culture. There's language that they don't understand. And you feel like an outsider right away. When you join a community, you're always going to feel like an outsider. And the extent to which communities are solving for this is basically saying like, welcome, introduce yourself in the introduction channel, which is fine. One, make sure that every single person who introduces themselves gets a response, like an actual response, because that's going to make them feel heard and seen. If they post an intro and no one responds, then you're missing a really prime opportunity to make them feel valued and welcome in this space. But think about other creative ways to essentially shrink down the size of the groups that they are being asked to participate in and how to break through the feeling of like there's clicks that exist that I'm not a part of. And you can do that in some very simple ways. One is doing a buddy system. So ask your engaged members of your existing community to raise their hand to volunteer to be buddies. So whenever a new member joins, you can offer to match them up with a buddy. And all it does is like connect them over DM or something. And and now that buddy's job is just to say like, hey, welcome. If you have any questions about the community, let me know. Here are some of my favorite channels. I'm also going to introduce you to a couple people that I know here, right? So they get this welcome in. You can think about it almost like fraternities who have like the family system, the family tree system of like you have a big and a little, and that big's job is to like represent you and bring you in and make you feel like you're a part of it. You can also do cohorts. Sometimes communities do that. Invite all of the new members who joined this last week to a private event where they get to meet each other and get to know each other. So you almost create a new click for them. So just like shrinking down the size into smaller groups or one-on-ones will help people navigate that social overwhelm of joining a really fast-moving active community. Yeah, so many things in there that I'm like, right, we got to do that. That's <laughs> the thing that we got to do. And I love it because I think there's just so much room to improve, which gets me excited, right? I think like the underlying belief I have is that we can actually, yeah, we can have apply resources, people that are aligned and trying to sort of build towards this bigger mission. There's a strong incentive to bring people in. And, and I think there's such a 
that feeling of being lost in a new Discord or in a DAO is so pervasive that I think people are very willing to put time and effort into trying to solve that. Like if I look at our internal team focused on onboarding, like the level of giving a shit there is massive. And I think it's driven by that real life experience of feeling like you're just like the lone person standing in the room, like that meme going like, what am I doing? Who am I? <laughs> what is this? Okay, so shifting into a little bit of like, if I build it, will they stay? What are some of like the, maybe the, the ways to sort of think about designing experiences to try to bring people closer together or connect them deeper within the organization? Yeah, well, I think like one other thing I'll say that should have been a foundation for all of this is that community is an experiment. It's an ongoing experiment and you have to look at it that way. And the same way you're looking for product market fit, if you're a startup, you're looking for community market fit. And the same way you have the lean startup model, I like to think of it like the lean community model, just like how do you put things out there, test them, iterate until they click. And for community, you'll just find that process happen over and over and over again. And so I'm just constantly, when I launch a new community or, you know, we've been running CMX for eight years and I still do this all the time is like, we just experiment with new rituals and new processes and new engagement techniques to see what works. And 90% of them might not work, but then you find 10% that click and you build it into your community rituals and structure and you just consistently do that and you know it works because it resonated with the community. I mean, rituals is a big one, like having a regular newsletter that goes out every week, having like threads that you start once a week, or doing a, a monthly meetup, like anything that has this kind of recurring nature to it is going to make your life a lot easier as a community builder because you're not constantly reinventing how to engage people. And it makes it easy for your community members because they become confident and become more aware of these rituals because they happen consistently, right? They, kn they know what to expect. Think about it like religions, right? Like the holiday process is <laughs> the same for Christmas and for Hanukkah. You go, if I go to temple well, for Hanukkah, like I know what the like the prayers are going to be, and they generally follow an order with like some level of mixing it up. But that creates confidence and awareness and competence for me as a member that like I know what's happening, and it also makes me feel like I belong because I'm in the know on those rituals. Having these kinds of recurring experiences is really powerful. Just like make sure to be consistent as well. If you can show up for thirty minutes a day. And just like post one discussion starter a day and respond to 10 people a day. But like, just make sure you do it every day. You just consistently show up until eventually, then it will start to happen organically and leaders will start to form. And it won't have to be as much on you to keep like facilitating and pushing the kind of engagement you want to see because you'll have set the example. And then when new members come in, they see the example and they will replicate that. But in those early days, it really is up to the founding team and the, the core leadership to show up and just be like shaping the kind of culture and community that they want to see until it starts to catch on organically. The big thing that jumps up to me there is I'm really excited about the ability to pull multiple people together to like in these organizations and DAOs communities to like brainstorm, figure out this, to run and define experiments and just love this idea of sort of being core to like a core work stream within C Club is to like come up with crazy new ideas around engagement that can kind of be like spread throughout our, our number of communities or, or even maybe just pull pull those in that I know our community, uh, the communities that we're working with are, are, you know, experimenting with individually. This sort of network collaboration experimentation, I think is just like such a, a big thing here. My assumption is you as a consultant in companies coming in, helping them figure out how to, to sort of manage and, and roll out communities. I'm assuming there's a bit of like along a with a playbook or sort of like a resourcing or like what sort of roles need to exist to run and to really lean into building successful communities in a corporate world. I'm curious maybe how you see that relating to this DAO world. Like what sort of structures, roles, is it a community manager? Is it a community working group? What would we need to, if we want to really resource and lean into building a successful community, what are the, the core roles or responsibilities we need to have there? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's definitely another issue I've been seeing in Web3 so far is that the community team has been tending to really be community moderators more so than a community strategist. And a lot of teams, like the founders are kind of doing community, but they don't really have anyone dedicated to it. So they all kind of chip in. And I just want to be, like 
articulate that a moderator is very different than like a facilitator, which is different than a strategist. So like a moderator will definitely be able to like be in there and engage and respond to people and clean up spam and moderate essentially, but they're not going to like proactively create engagement campaigns and engagement programs. And even someone who's doing that isn't necessarily going to know how to zoom out and see how do these engagement programs fit into a larger community program and strategy and plan over the next 12 months? And how does that all of that roll up into our business strategy? And so I think there's definitely an opportunity for Web3 companies to be a lot more strategic and intentional in how they create community teams. And I hope that it doesn't make the same mistake of Web3 of not properly resourcing it. If you want to put a team together, what we're starting to see even in Web2 is more specialization of roles coming together, which is really exciting because actually for until the last couple of years when communities started getting really hot, for the most part, you just kind of see the community professional that wears all of the hats and are generalists and do everything. Now we're starting to see specializations. So if you could design the perfect community team, I would say you have a, a leader, a strategic leader who has a seat at the table at the highest level of the company, chief community officer, whatever it is. That person is overseeing strategy across all different community programs that you may be running and essentially leading the team, making sure the team is focused and knows what they're doing. And then the team itself will usually be a combination of community engagement managers. So people who are focused on facilitating engagement, driving growth, experimenting with different formats. They're going to be very public-facing, very active in the community themselves, very curious, very engaged. Community event organizers, which are often different, actually, because like running events at scale is a very different skill set than running like forum engagements. And so this is actually how we have our team structured at CMX. We have a full events team that runs our conferences, our monthly events that we run, our master classes, all that kind of stuff. And then our community, our senior community manager actually runs our community-led events program where we empower our community members to self-organize events. So we have 60 chapters around the world, and those chapters are run by members of the community. But that on its own can be a full-time role doing community-led event programs. It's a very complex kind of program. And then a really exciting role that's starting to form is community operations. And so this is a person who is behind the scenes more, less forward-facing and more, how do we automate processes that take a lot of time? They're looking at the data and analytics behind community to say, how do we measure community health properly and tie it back to business metrics? They're making sure team operations are running smoothly, communication channels are running smoothly. And so communities are very, very complex systems. So it's really exciting to see this role starting to form where there's someone really who's just focused on making sure all like the pipes are connected properly and running smoothly. And it makes the whole team a lot more effective and efficient. And then you have like the more junior level, which might just be like community associates, community moderators, which could be members of the community or part of the team, but they're kind of just like day-to-day helping execute on these things and helping moderate the community. And that's all in Web 2. I think in Web 3, we're going to start to see even more specialist roles because there's like the governance components. I imagine we're going to see a lot of people with like political backgrounds and governance backgrounds coming in and saying, all right, how do we really manage the voting processes and all the governance components of Web 3? There might be like financial components to the community. Right. And people who specialize in really creating those systems and ecosystems from a community minded perspective. So I imagine that we're going to see actually a lot of different specializations that are unique to Web3 start to form in community teams as well. There's just obviously such a huge breadth of work, a canon to get into here as far as like lessons and strategies and ways to think about how to actually do this part of Web3 or of DAOs very, very well. And my sense is most of that's actually not coming from Web3, right? Where most of this work has been done in other contexts. And so I'm curious, you know, either through like your organization or maybe even outside it in, in sort of parallel streams, like where do you go for the latest, greatest thinking, experimentation 
awareness building around community management design and strategy. Yeah, I mean, I'm just constantly consuming and geeking out on everything I get my hands on that provides unique perspectives, whether it's on community psychology and an avid reader. I just love find. I actually like books not about community, but like have a thread to community. Sapiens was one of my favorite books on not community that taught me about community because it just taught you about like why humans exist and and why social groups exist within humanity. Obviously, yeah, CMX, it's what we do. It's our bread and butter. We've been doing it for eight years. We have eight years of conferences, tons of free videos on YouTube, Facebook group, a Slack space. We might be launching the Discord soon, specifically to talk about the Web3 side of things, events regularly, tons of research, tons of articles that we've published. So there's like a huge rabbit hole you can dive down just in CMX. I get a lot of my stuff on Twitter as well. I curate a few lists. If you go to my lists that I've made public on my Twitter, there's the community builders list. There's a masters of community list, which is all of the guests that I've had on my masters of community podcast. Yeah, that should give you plenty to, <laughs> to chew on. I love it. We're coming up on the hour now. Uh, Already? I know we, started, we opened that thread. Or, yeah, I know. it's, uh, it's not, Time it's flies when you're having fun, David. Can Web3 time solve the, the time problem? Like, come on. Well, listen, man, I think there's going to be no shortage of conversations you and I are going to have about this because I think it is just so core to, to the world that we want to help our teams build. And I think the big thing that I consistently get out of speaking to people like yourself and others is just how like how much further we have to go, which to me is like the most positive thing like, that gets me extremely excited. Mm. And so I think there's just a whole host of things that we can do to really bring more focus and the experience that exists in the broader business world into Web3 in a way that, it, yeah, and to, to sort of use it to reinforce the, I think the visions and missions that these amazing communities have. I'm curious though, you know, before we do go, this conversation starter of Web2, Web3, will Web2 have to come to Web3? Or like, what does that world look like? And maybe I'll frame the question in, you know, if we do cast our mind out three or four or five years and we do see the mainstream coming into Web3, how do you see that ecosystem evolving? I think us having sort of like updating our mental models on the variety of potentials that could exist there is probably very valuable. Yeah. I mean, I see it as like, for one, there's a transition period now of making sure that people in Web 2 are able to access Web 3, especially when we're looking at diversity and making sure that it's an equitable space. I just heard a stat the other day from Jeremiah Aoyang said 26%, only 26% of crypto holders are women. And if you think about who has access to this space today, it's people who had connections to it. It's people who had the wealth to be able to invest in it. Still today, it's people who can like afford gas fees and like can engage in this and has the time to engage in it. So there's a, a whole slew of very understandable reasons why it's lacking diversity already. But I think there's also a lot of solvable problems when it comes to the culture that we create in Web3 and how we bridge the two, how we talk about it, how we are very intentional about not letting the default persist, like not making the same mistakes of Web2, where it's like, well, like remember not too long ago where like the response from Web2 CEOs was like, well, you know, we, we don't have a lot of Black people working at our company because like there aren't a lot of Black developers. It's like, it's just not taking responsibility or initiative at all in helping solve the problem and like getting to the root of that cause, a root of that problem rather. So, how do we put in the work to bring people into this space in a thoughtful way, in a way that's inclusive and not just have this mentality of, I just wrote this newsletter. It was called The Cultural Downside of Inevitability. It's just this idea that like, well, you're going to end up here whether or not you like it. And I'm not going to put in the work to make that transition smooth or easy for you. Which on one end, I understand because people in Web3 have been like talking about it forever and doubted a lot. So they feel exhausted explaining it. At the same time, it's like, well, okay, people are here now. They're at the door. They're ready to learn. How do we make sure that we welcome them and bring them in in a thoughtful way? So I think that that point there is actually really interesting because it is... Not only were people doubted, there's like aggressive confrontation around the idea of Web3. And I'm actually not as exposed to this, but if I think about my friends in the arts worlds or in music or who have that sort of, like there is a lot of intensity that kind of comes at them for, I mean, the message of the Discord CEO posting, hey, we might do Web3 sign-in and this the insanity of some of the responses and the intensity of those responses. 
I think it's like, it's going to require, again, a long-term mindset in Web3 and, and really wanting to steward that into a better place because the it's very challenging not to have a, an emotional response to that. And maybe I think a very fair response is like, you know what, buddy? Fine. We're just going to go over here and build it. I'm guilty of that response too, because you're probably not going to change that. But it also doesn't make your point incorrect, right? Which is that for us to really have both the, the, the growth and opportunity and impact that we want the space to have, we need to overcome that. And I think to me, that's why these conversations are so important because it is, in my opinion, communities that act as the best place to onboard people into Web3 where you have that space and you have the resources, the time, the attention, the sense-making mechanism, the support to overcome the awkwardness of operating in Web3 today. And I think that's going to persist a lot longer than most people think. If we're taking, asking people to take an immense amount of responsibility for something that they haven't had to take responsibility for in the past, right? If you are responsible for your private keys, you are custodying your own assets to be able to engage in this broader ecosystem, that's going to be true. And so how do we, there's a whole lot of other barriers that are maybe not apparent to start. But what I will say is the biggest growth in the types of communities that I'm seeing happening right now are learning communities. You know, we have the Web3 baddies, we have the crypto culture community, we have projects like Station, like there's just this whole host. And my hope is that there's thousands of those, that, that every niche in the world has some sort of learning community that's designed specifically to be like, here's your soft landing pad to come into crypto. The water's warm, come hang yeah, out. Yeah, we need lighthouses and landing pads. Like we need to create places for people who want to, who are like, all right, open-minded to it. I want to learn. How do I do that? You want those people to be able to come in. Totally understand, you know, people who are just trolling or negative, like that's going to be part of every ecosystem, especially one like this, that's like financially driven and shaking up a lot of things. But especially now there's a lot of people who genuinely want to learn. They're coming in with skepticism, but that I think like, it's kind of also, I feel responsibility as someone that's like, okay, I'm coming into web three now. I haven't had that experience of the negative aspects of being passionate about Web3 for a long time. And I'm enjoying putting in the work to be a bridge. We just hosted the first CMX Web3.0 event. It was our largest event, non-conference event we've ever hosted. Like The appetite was so like very strong in our community of community builders. And the whole point, we we're like, this is an intro-level event. Every, all the contents can be beginner-friendly. We had a rule that we put in the chat that if you use an acronym, you had to define it. So everyone was finally learning what GM means and WAGME means and all this stuff. And like, it was great. Like the vibe was great because it was really all focused on being a bridge on like helping people access the space. And like, I have the energy for that. So I'm going to do it. And I think it's cool to see people like you and a lot of other bridge builders really like starting to form in Web3. I think that's what it needs. I think that makes me the most optimistic about the space is just how much of that work is going on right now. And, and the impact that it's having. So yeah, very much appreciate. David, I cannot tell you how excited I was when I looked at your Twitter account and saw you with your .eth <laughs> name. I was just like, we got, got him. <laughs> we got him. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And I think this conversation <laughs> has proven why I, I believe that to be true. I mean, you're just a, an absolute wealth of knowledge here. I very much appreciate you taking an hour and bit out of your Friday afternoon to come and chat with us here. Is there a last thought to leave our, our audience with or maybe some places where people can kind of find you? Folks, I promise we're going to pull David into as many things as he possibly can because I think there's just so much value for people who are building in these conversations. But yeah, what would you like to leave our audience with, David? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm very excited to get more involved in your community and be a part of C-Club and everything you're building. It's been a landing pad for me. So I'm here in part because of you, Jess, and because of C-Club. So a good example. Last thoughts, just... I think community building work is some of the most important work in the world. I think it's only become more important. All of this is also coming at a time that has been dubbed the loneliness epidemic. And part of that challenge has come from this fact that like we've never had more options and access to communities, but we are lacking the depth and quality of communities that humans really require to be happy. There's a lot of science out there that shows that like it's not wealth or status or a lot of other things that make you happy. It's really just the quality of your social relationships. So for those of you who are listening, who are putting in the work to build real, meaningful, inclusive, equitable communities, thank you for doing that work. And if there's anything I can do to help, I'm very accessible. 
I'm very active on Twitter. You can DM me. My DMs are open. I'm at David Spinks there. I have a newsletter as well on Substack that I respond to everyone who replies to me there. And I just share my rants on Web3 and community there. Podcast is Masters of Community. Book is The Business of Belonging. Companies are CMX and Bevy. And uh, appreciate you having me, Jess. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. And look forward to having more conversations like this as we continue to go down the community rabbit hole, which I know you are very, very deep down. So thank you so much. And we'll make sure all those links are in the show notes so you can head over to our Twitter account at C Club Podcast and find all the details there. Love it. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.